So I'm going to start out in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at pretty much the entire chapter of Ephesians uh, 3. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, that's where we are going to be. Um, so I'm going to start in verse uh, 2. It says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So this is Paul speaking uh, to uh, Ephes- uh, Ephesus, so I'm, uh, uh, a Gentile kind of audience. And he says uh, that he has been given a task uh, to administer God's grace. Uh, he has received something from God for them. So this is like, he is like uh, the, the manager of God's grace or steward of God's grace. He has a responsibility to bear a message of grace for this group of people. Um, and this is not like a unique thing to Paul. And so it's really easy for us to think, oh, well, Paul had this, this special task of, of being the administrator of God's grace. Uh, but we actually find like in 1 Peter, it says in chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever, whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So we can see here in this other scripture that it was a normal thing within the church for all people to have some measure of God's grace that they have a responsibility to administer. So now for Paul, uh, we go back to Ephesus. So he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of, of God's uh, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. All right, this is a big deal now. He's saying, I am writing to you something from God that has been hidden as a mystery for all time up until now. So he already kind of alluded, he, like, he says, well, I already wrote about this a little bit briefly. So hopefully they already kind of know what he's talking about. But this is a really big deal. He's saying, I have a mystery to explain to you that has been a secret forever, but has now been revealed. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus now, for us, we go, yes, we understand this because this is not a big deal to us because the whole point of the gospel uh, is that the Gentiles would be saved as well. Uh, but for this audience at this time, this was a hugely big deal. And up until then, they would talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the God of the, uh, the promised land or the promised people. Or the, and, but all of a sudden, Paul is saying, I have this revelation for you that the Gentiles can also be heirs. And, sh- and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying to them, get together, read what I've written to you, because it contains the mysteries of God for this season. And so for them getting together, to read these letters, that was part of their normal identity as a church. So, and you would have to say that's true for us as well. Like we gather every week, at least once, sometimes more, um, in order to read through the Bible and try to understand what it means. So even then, it was central to their identity because they weren't able to just go home and read Paul's letters in quiet contemplation for themselves. 
Often I meet people who uh, will talk about their faith and they're like, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Or and I'm like, well, you're kind of missing the core element of what it is to be part of uh, this body that is to be connected to other believers. So Paul says, get together, be connected together and learn and understand the things that I have for you. Um, and he highlights this more and more as this chapter goes on, which is what I want to talk about. So I became a servant of this gospel. This is verse 7 now. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. All right, there's a lot in that. But right in the middle, there's a real weird bit uh, where he's, he, he's explaining God's intent. And he says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Like what? So he's not saying, well, through the church, the government will know. Or through the church, the world will know. He's saying through the church, I am going to show the rulers of the heavenly realm and the spiritual um, kind of beings and all of that stuff that happens. I'm going to show them. Uh, what it is that I've been working on, what I've been brewing in the background, what I've been preparing all this time. Here is my church. And it's, it's God, I mean, gloating is, kind of has negative connotations, but God's showing off. He's saying, look at this. This is the fruit of what I've been left over. And I read that and I think, well, then that's a pretty disappointing thing. Because the church kind of sucks. Uh, i got to be honest with you, we're not perfect. We've got some problems. But you see, it's in our weakness that, that he is made strong. It's God is so great. It's, he can take the foolish things and use them to confound the wise. So it says through the church, God presents this to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, this is my church. This is the body. This is what I've created. And, and he does that because he's saying, I win. Uh, it sounds silly, but this is him saying, I win. He wants to put us on show before all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Because what was lost is now found. What was broken is now being made whole. What was um, destroyed is being brought back to life. The church is a, is a testimony to, well, of God delivering on his promise. The manifold wisdom of God is made known not because of how perfect the church is, but rather how great God's saving power and plan is. Verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this is really important. God is, wants to strengthen us with his power. 
through his spirit in our inner beings. You see, God is concerned with the inner being, not just the external being. See, a lot of time in church we do uh, behavior modification. We do, um, uh, or we try to condition ourselves to, to live a certain way. So we look externally like we're doing something right. The way Jesus characterized this of the Pharisees, he says, you wash the outside of the cup so it looks clean. But the inside, not so much. Around here we have a, a problem with people making cups of tea and then forgetting about them. Um, there are a few people in my family who are profoundly guilty of this task. And uh, especially if they drink most of it, but leave a little bit of it. And the outside of the cup can look clean. But if you find it later, and depending on how much later you find it, it develops like a thick film on top of it. And if you are unlucky enough to kind of break that skin, it is odorous. It is like, it is toxic. See, this is what happens when we only condition the outside of our being. When we look like we're doing everything right, but the inside isn't conditioned. The inside isn't transformed. You see, and it's through the spirit and God's power. He wants us to be transformed on the inside of our being. God is concerned with our hearts. Doing the right thing because we've been bullied into it isn't the same as doing it out of love. When I ask... um, uh, one of my children to empty a bin and then we have a fight we argue and eventually uh, at fear of never being allowed screens ever again they do as they're told and take the bin out that's not the same as them being glad to serve and glad to help and glad to be part of the family being conditioned or being bullied or being manipulated or being shamed or being um, demanding you know like or threatened that, that type of uh, adherence to good behaviour is not what God wants. And the Pharisees didn't understand this. They just thought that the chief concern of God was the external. The prodigal's brother was like this because he did all the right things on the farm, working in the soil and doing all the right stuff, but he didn't understand the father's heart at all. On his inner being, when his brother returned home, instead of being rejoicing in that, he was resentful towards that. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, Paul had had a complete reformation of his thinking. He went from thinking that you needed to have be clean on the outside to knowing that you had to be clean on the inside. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, this is what it is. For Christ to dwell in your heart through faith is to be transformed in your inner being. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Having Christ in our hearts looks like being rooted and established. This is a farming metaphor. It means being grounded. It means being having your roots go deep uh, into the ground so that you can be nourished in love. Healthy plants have deep roots that nourish them and make them stable in the wind and allow them to grow and bear fruit. You know what happens though when you have a, a plant that has no roots 
Or you have a plant that was growing fruit and you uproot it. That occasionally happens in our garden. Without those roots being deeply grounded, the thing falls over. In the same way, healthy people are grounded deep in love. They are grounded deep in relationships that nourish them and bring them life. Knowing that you are loved by God and loved by his people and loving others deeply is the basis for which we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it doesn't say some of the fullness of God. It says all of the fullness of God. This is the full thing. This is what we were designed for. This is the absolute end game of importance. All of the fullness of God. Not just a a little bit now, a little bit later, but all of the fullness of God comes from being grounded and rooted in love for one another and for God. And knowing that you are loved by God in this way and then loving other people in this way surpasses knowledge. You can't understand. You can't explain it. It isn't something that you can just get. It's something that, that is inside of you. It isn't just cognitive. It's not about having the right ideas. God wants you to be filled, to be rooted and established in love that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the end game of discipleship. When we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, it changes how we see each other. It changes how we see the world and God's creation. It changes how we see ourselves. It's the core to our identity is to be filled to the fullness of all the fullness of God. Which means that we've got it all back to front when we think that stuff is what fills us. When we think that a promotion is what fills us. It's when we, when we think that a particular feeling or achievement or success will fill the emptiness that we have in our inner being. But that emptiness is meant to be filled with all the fullness of God. So much of the activity of our lives, we fill our lives with busyness in a vain attempt to find what can only be filled by the fullness of God. We fill our hearts and our minds with anything else um, and we do it constantly because we are, we are wired to, to want to fill that space. But we fill it with the wrong things and it doesn't nourish us. It makes us sick. Because it's not, it's not what we're designed to consume. I know how easy that is. I'm, uh, like, I'm trying to remember the years now, but a, a while ago we did a whole series on the practices of, of, of faith and how to be filled and, and silence and solitude. And, um, and because there is so little uh, opportunity in my life for me to recognise that my inner being needs to be filled by all the fullness of God because I fill up every single minute of my time with something. And then in any minute that is not full of something, I add Netflix. Or, or even worse, I could spend an hour trying to find something to watch on Netflix and then I don't have time to watch anything anymore. Or I can play games or I can listen to Audible or I can, you know, or just shopping. Even if you're not even buying anything, shopping. It's like I'm going to fill the empty void in my life by looking at stuff I can't afford and fantasizing about what it will be like to have that stuff. Study, activity, career, we detach from reality into a, into a universe that doesn't exist because our inner being is crying out for all the fullness of God. And we barely have a single moment in our lives that is quiet enough to hear the voice of God, to understand that the longing in our soul is there on purpose. 
so that we will seek him. So the question is, what is it that stops us from being so rooted and in love and experiencing the fullness of God? I think there are a few things. And the first one is, I think we get tricked into thinking that the, that the short-term satisfaction of being bloated is what it is to be full. I don't know if you've ever eaten an entire pizza. Because I do it all the time. Uh, but when you do it, you never feel good afterwards. You feel good during it, especially if you add those delicious little Dutch pancakes. I love those things. And they're gross. And when I'm eating them, I think they're gross. And I love them. And I feel gross when I'm finished. And I feel full when I'm finished. But I can assure you, it's not the same as being healthy. We buy into this lie that if we can just fill up the empty space, that that's the same as having all the fullness. And it's not. Being bloated is not the same as having all the fullness of God. In Philippians um, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, here we learn, here we learn um, what Paul thinks about everything else. He says it's garbage compared to being full and being in Christ. But we get tricked into thinking that if we could just get the next thing, it'll make us feel better. And the problem with that is that in our society, if we are all craving stuff to make us feel full, there is a limited amount of stuff. So not only do we start filling up our lives with garbage, we start taking the limited finite resource of garbage away from everyone else. So we fight one another for limited stuff that won't actually make us feel full. And we become us and them and it becomes divisive and controlling. And our whole lives become around trying to hoard more and more stuff so that we can be full. And what we end up with is a society where some people have all the stuff and still feel empty. And some people have none of the stuff and still feel empty. The other thing we do is we allow ourselves to be utterly rooted in things other than God's love. We become rooted in what people think of us. We become rooted in wealth and tribalism and capitalism and nationalism. All of the isms start to be where we place our roots. And when we place our roots into, uh, into greed, all that does is it bears awful fruit. When we place our roots into, uh, into lust or when we place our roots into intellectualism or whatever it is, it bears, it bears awful fruit in our life because we are not rooted in love. We search for identity and purpose and life outside of God's love for us. And the soil we are planted in poisons us. We think that if we can just be in the right club or have the right ideas, then, then that will make it better. But we need to be rooted and established in love. And I mean, I could go on all day probably with these things, but the one I want to finish with is just to say, I think for a lot of people, um, they get caught up because they've been taught that the gift of God, the, the, the measure of grace that's been given to us uh, is about salvation and not anything else. 
We've been told to celebrate that there's a dessert coming, uh, but frankly, kind of want the entree and main course. There's so much more to being uh, all the fullness of God than just we get saved. There's a whole creation here and all of these people made in his image and all this incredible stuff that God wants us to engage with. I'm not saying that we all need to become monks and nuns and live in monasteries and avoid the world and, uh, and never enjoy anything. That's not what I'm saying. It's about what are we rooted in? What do we find our identity and purpose in? Because all this other stuff is there for us to enjoy when we are rooted in love. God wants all of creation to reflect his nature. And we are the very image of God. We are his, um, his workmanship. We are exactly what he, uh, like what he wants us to be. And that is craving the intimacy and connection that comes off from love. The triune, relational, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, God, who in and of himself is in community, wants us to reflect that perfect love relationship with him and with one another. All the fullness of God is born from being rooted in love because that is what God is in his very nature. And he has created a longing inside of our hearts for that love. A love that surpasses knowledge. And here's the thing. A lot of the time we think we're disqualified from that love because we've been rooted in the wrong things. Maybe you have the misfortune of growing up in an environment where you were not loved, where you were not treated with the insurpassable worth that you deserve to be treated with, where you were rooted in all sorts of awful things. And that has borne fruit in your life that you don't like. And I want to say you can uproot and be replanted. All the fullness of God. No sin no uh, challenge, no experience, no past can stop you from being able to receive the love of God. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people See, this is something we do together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, our responsibility of the church, a thing that he wants to hold up and gloat in front of all of the heavenlies is that this is a group of people that together Try to grasp the love that is high and wide and deep that is the love of Christ. A love that surpasses knowledge. Against the backdrop of God's love, our sin is inconsequential. Our brokenness cannot stand against that love. And it doesn't mean that we should just go out and sin more. It means that we work out that salvation that we have daily being rooted in love with one another, in love with God. Not, we, we, we are rooted in those relationships that nourish us as a body, as his body, and not just by behaviour modification because of shame and guilt. 
It means that we are stewards of God's grace and that we have gifts from a loving God to share with one another. It means that we do it together. In this kingdom, we are heirs together. It means that we shouldn't be alone. So let's be rooted in love together. I am... I'm not always the most lovable person. Most of the time, but not not always. But I I love you guys greatly. And I want people to come and be part of this community and feel loved. Um, And then as best we can, I want people to feel understood. I want people to feel known. And I don't want people to feel um, condemned. I'm okay with conviction. I think that we all need to grow but I think that that happens best when we are loved. And, and I love you. I want people uh, to feel a sense of belonging and support and connection. And I know that we're not all at the same stage. We're not all old like me. Natalie commented about how much grayer I look today. It was very loving. Um, uh, and we definitely don't all agree about all things at all times. But I pray that we can wholeheartedly agree to be rooted in love together. Paul finishes this section of scripture. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's good. That that seems like a good start. If we're going to have someone to help us out, let it be him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, this is not just a a message and a mystery that was written to a group of people in Ephesus. It was written for us throughout all generations. So I pray that you would go today and be filled with all the fullness of the measure of God, that you would know great love in your life and be deeply planted and rooted um, in his love. Amen.